Welcome to The Dirt on the Past, a program of the Extreme History Project that explores the good, the bad, and the ugly about our human past. Because, let's face it, Crystal. Yep, history is not pretty, but it is so important to know. Because it is the very thing that has led us to the most critical concerns that we have in the present. So join me, Nancy Mahoney. And me, Crystal Alegria. As we talk to archaeologists and historians who have been digging in the dirt. And in the archives. To uncover the fascinating histories that are not only relevant to today's issues. But help us move forward in a better way with a deeper understanding of our past. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the show. I'm Nancy. And I'm Crystal. And we are the co-hosts of The Dirt on the Past. This week, we are at the KGLT studio speaking via Zoom with Peter Brown about his job at the Montana State Historic Preservation Office. So we're excited to talk with Peter. But first, Crystal, um, what's been going on in your probably last couple of weeks? It's been a little bit since we've done a podcast. Yeah, we've had um, a few weeks between podcasts here. And I guess... The biggest thing, which you and I were just talking about off air, is that I went to the Emmy Awards. That's just amazing. Which was so much fun. So much fun. So the documentary that we've talked about on this podcast before that Extreme History was involved in, The Story of Us, The Women Who Shaped Montana, was nominated for an Emmy. And so So um, So Kimberly Hogberg and myself, um, Kimberly was the filmmaker, and so we went to Seattle for the Emmy Awards, and that is the Northwestern Region Emmy Awards. Wow. Yeah. That's a huge honor. That's amazing. It was so much fun. We had such a good time. We did not bring home an Emmy. We did not win the Emmy in our category. Did the Emmys for those look like all the other Emmys. Yeah. Oh, man. They, they are huge. you got to get one next I know, time. I yeah, know. Because that's just, that, you got to have one. I really wanted one. <laughs> <laughs> Where's that table full of Emmys in the back? I know. <laughs> I wanted, after seeing them, I'm like, oh, I really do want one of those. <laughs> I didn't think that before I went, but right, right. but um, but yeah, that was it was great, and we were just so excited to be nominated mm. for an Emmy and mm-hmm. to be in that room with all those amazing people. So, it was a great event. We we didn't bring home the, the Emmy, but um, it was still, like I said, wonderful to be nominated and to be recognized at that level. So yeah, that's wonderful news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what that was the big thing that I did the last couple of weeks. What about you, Nancy? Well, I went off to South Africa for two weeks. So we all flew over the whole family to see my husband's family over there. And it was a different time of year for us to be there. So May is is kind of getting into their um, kind of fall winter period. But it's not really cold. I mean, we still swam over there and, and stuff. And there were still awesome, like, baby warthog, baby giraffe, baby zebra on the farm. It was really pretty fun to to see oh, all fun. of that. And I was able to um, hike and test out the new hip and get Good. some miles yeah. under under my belt. And that you have your new, my your new, new hip. hip. I know. That so yeah. that was fantastic. Good. So we had a lot of great time with Ian's folks and um, it was beautiful. And my kids were just having fun eating all of grandma's delicious cooking. Oh, and nice. I know. So it was just wonderful. And um, it's been interesting because South Africa has been dealing with um, – their whole system for energy has been 
not they haven't been keeping up with it and funding it the way they should that infrastructure so there's a lot of load shedding they call it which oh. means periodically certain areas have to shut down the whole system for a while so every once in a while during the day like okay you all of a sudden can't buy something at a shop unless they have a backup generator oh, or yeah. something like that but Ian's family's um, farm all of their their houses on there are on you know, in the lodges that they lease out, they're all on, on solar now, which is which is great. Oh, wonderful. Although, you know, on a cloudy day, you, you can't run the dryer, but the rest <laughs> of the time, everything's amazing. So, yeah, oh, wow. I know. But it's it's just was was beautiful and lovely to be back and, and that. So then I was extremely well-fed and well-rested oh, um, getting back here. And now the, the rush of the tourists is back, yes. which is exciting. Yeah. And we're ready for it down at, at at the shops, and we had our first art walk uh, last yeah. Friday. So I know it's exciting. Yeah, I'm... summer season is here. Our, our walking tours are going strong, and awesome. it's so much fun to be downtown in downtown Bozeman during the summer. It, it really it's is. It's busy, but it's got a lot of energy. People are excited to visit. Yeah. And before, um, before my niece left, who had been house sitting for us while we were in South Africa, she stayed for a while longer and she is actually my niece from Ian's brother from South Africa. She's been yeah. in America. And we took her to Yellowstone for the first time with her friend. And we got one of those magical days where it only rained while we were driving from one point to the other. And then it was just beautiful. And oh, we nice. saw um, a, a mother grizzly bear with two cubs wow. and then two black bears. And then we got a baby bison with bison and a bunch of elk. So oh, you had a we good got the animals Sunday. in. Yeah. I know. And then the, the, the just everywhere else was beautiful. So they had such a good time. So, yeah, I kind of feel like my summer has started. Now. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's yeah. in full swing. Yeah. Well, we should probably get back to our yes. guests. Yes. So, um, Peter, I'm so glad you're here today. But before, I guess we have one more piece of business to do before we um, get to you. And that is is the sponsorship for this episode. So we want to thank the Montana State Historic Preservation Office for sponsoring this episode of The Dirt on the Past. The Montana SHPO works together with all Montanans to promote the preservation of our state's historic and cultural places, from archaeological sites all the way to homestead farms. The Montana SHPO is responsible for protecting protecting Montana's historic places and paleontological resources under the Montana Antiquity Act and assisting federal agencies when assessing the impact their actions will have on historic places under the National Historic Preservation Act. We are so grateful for all that the SHPO does to protect and preserve our state's cultural heritage. So, Pete, we're super happy to have you with us today. Welcome. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So we're going to start off by telling our listeners a little bit about you. Peter Brown okay. has been Montana's State Historic Preservation Officer since 2019. His work at the State Historic Preservation Office, or the SHPO, began in 2002 when he served as the Historic Architecture Specialist. Pete has written countless architectural reviews and has authored the current State Historic Preservation Plan. He has also produced a document documentary on Montana modernist architect Daphne Bugby Jones and collaborated on the Montana Historical Society's Montana Modern Exhibit. 
he has a particular interest in locally sourced qualities of Montana's historic built environment, really focusing on the native woods, stone, and clay that were used to construct many of the historic places that we inhabit and treasure. So I'm getting a sense that your draw into this field was through architecture rather than archaeology itself. And I'm excited to hear a little bit about that. So welcome. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. And so we'll just, I'll just continue on with that question, Pete, and just say, how did you come to have an interest in cultural heritage and, um, and history and the field of historic preservation? Yeah, I guess I've always been drawn to historic places um, from the time I was little. Um, and I remember when my family lived in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I just loved riding my bike around our neighborhood and, and um, looking at the houses. It was so architecturally diverse. You had things from the uh, early 1900s up till the, the mid-century. And um, I guess uh, I've always had an eye for that, um, but didn't even know there was this thing called historic preservation until kind of the 90s. And after college, I wanted to do something um, interesting before settling down. So I uh, signed up for the AmeriCorps program. I was in Philadelphia at this point. And AmeriCorps was partnering with the North Philadelphia Habitat for Humanity. And so what they would do is um, acquire abandoned row houses from the city for essentially free. And they're all brick uh, row houses with stone foundations. Um, and they were all abandoned, had been for a long time. So roofs were failed, you know, a lot of rot inside. And so we would go in and, and stabilize them and, and make them habitable again. And they were habitat for humanity houses. Uh-huh. And, you know, I had been doing that for, I did it two years in a row. And it wasn't till late in that, that I found out there was this thing called historic preservation and that I had been doing it <laughs> for a while. <laughs> Little did you know. And had this interest my whole life. <laughs> um, and uh, so after that, I um, pursued a master's degree in historic preservation. And there are a handful of universities around the country that offer that. And I went to Ball State University in Muncie, Indiana, mm-hmm. David Letterman's alma mater. Oh, goodness. <laughs> um, so... Uh, I happened to have met my wife in that historic preservation program, and uh, we ended up in Boston prior to coming to Montana, but we feel like we won the lottery and we moved to Montana. We both got jobs in our chosen field of historic preservation, which is crazy to yeah. think about. Yeah, <laughs> I know. That that obviously worked out well for you. And a stop off in Boston is so amazing, too, with the, all the historic structures there. That's got to be pretty incredible. I was yep. just visiting recently. So, Pete, can you tell us a little bit about, um, or tell us in general, let's start with that, what your main responsibility is as the Montana State Historic Preservation or Officer, and then mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about what you actually do on a daily basis, and I hope it's not going to be like writing reports in a windowless room. So let's, uh, oh. <laughs> let's see. I'll leave out the part about reports. Uh, <laughs> but um, really... What I do is is um, plan um, for our office activities, and I'm, when I say plan, I'm talking about plan um, in the broadest sense. And so, 
Um, we operate on a five-year preservation plan, and it's um, something that's based on a lot of outreach and, and public input. And based on that, we identify goals and objectives that our office adopts, and we encourage other sectors of preservation to adopt them too. So Preserve Montana, the statewide nonprofit, um, pursues some of the same things we do. But um, I, I get that plan together and, and we work on implementing it here. And we have different people with different expertise here and different responsibilities. And we um, just all kind of grab on to those goals and objectives and figure out how we're going to meet them. Um, so so part of that is simply doing our jobs, which a lot of which is kind of reviewing and commenting on projects under the National Historic Preservation Act or the State Antiquities Act. I just yeah. want to ask for a second, when, you, when you're when you talking about, you're based in Helena because you're mm -hmm. an arm really of the, the state government. And when you're saying coming up with the goals, you're talking about the whole state of Montana, which is massive. Mm -hmm. So can you just give us a little bit of an idea of what is that like to try to get information on this state, which is very different in the western side than it is in the eastern side, do you um, do you go out to different places? Do you have officers stationed in different places? What does that look like to get that information back in to yeah. be able to write a plan? Well, we um, it used to be actually a lot harder than it has been because it used to be we'd have to do public meetings um, in as many places as we could, and and we were having people fill out. Uh, paper surveys that we would oh, then wow. have to bring back and tally, or they would mail them to us. Um, and now, of course, there's this thing called Survey Monkey, which we're all familiar with. And, you know, we still do the public meetings, but, um, you know, chances are a lot of people who'd like to contribute aren't going to be able to get to one of those. And so, um, in addition to public appearances across the state, um, we rely on. Um, the some communities uh, have local preservation offices that are part of the local city or county government so we rely on them to kind of um, broadcast these surveys and seek input from people in their areas um you know social media is incredibly effective in just reaching people all over and even going beyond kind of uh, Montana's borders uh, reach people who may spend several months of the year here and have input. Um, you know, so so we we're able to reach probably more people and tally things better than we could in the old days when it was all on paper. But we got 570 um, responses to our survey, and we kind of had that open for about six months. And then we um, did more directed interviews with people and we invited, I think, probably 40 people to participate in interviews. And, and we were ultimately able to get 22 of those. Um, not everyone was interested or willing, I guess, uh, but we got 22 pretty solid hour long interviews with preservation stakeholders who had real specific ideas. And, you know, so we, we get all this, and we kind of processed it it um, discussed it as an office and came up with our our goals and objectives. 
Nice. So that that those are basically my marching orders and our office's marching orders for for addressing these things. Like, you know, um, one that comes up r- routinely is um, there's not enough money for preservation um, to for brick and mortar projects um, to pay for community surveys to document historic buildings or landscapes in in communities. Um, I mean, there's never any money for anything. Um, preservation is no different. Um, <laughs> Low man anyway, on the totem pole. I was just yeah, going to say, terrible. though, yeah. Yeah. yeah, historic preservation's always way down there. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's kind of a, a call to us to pursue grants, to to go beyond kind of just our our basic mandated tasks and kind of expand on, on what we do um, with the aid of grants. Um, there, you know, uh, I think it's another one that's, pretty common is um, expand the audience of Montanans who are engaged in preservation who are or who are aware of preservation and why it's important. And so that's not uh, that, that's that's all versions of diversity. It's it's rural, it's age diversity, it's it's racial, all that, everything. Um, you know, we, we, we if I consider um, preservation events I've been at, it's a lot of um, white college educated people from Missoula, Bozeman, Billings, Helena, Butte, Great Falls. Um, and, and so there's so much to Montana that doesn't fit that description. And, and so that's, again, one of our priorities. Go go beyond the, the sort of converted, I guess. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I know, Pete, that... Um, uh, you and I had a conversation, oh, it's probably been a year ago, probably as part of that kind of creating that plan. Um, and so maybe I was one of those st- stakeholders that you called and talked to. <laughs> I think so, yeah. I think so. I just kind of remembered that. But um, I want to dial down a little deeper and talk. You mentioned the National Historic Preservation Act. And so I was just mm-hmm. wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that within what you do at the Historic Preservation Office here in Helena. Yeah. So the National Historic Preservation Act went into effect in 1966, and it establishes a framework for preservation. Um, and it, it brought about some a couple pretty important things. One is that it established the National Register Program. And the National Register is kind of, we call it an honor roll of historically significant places in America. And that, it could be archaeological sites, it could be historic buildings, um, it it could be a structure like uh, we recently had we uh, MDT nominated a bunch of airway beacons. That's a structure. It's not a building. <laughs> oh, yeah. No one occupies yeah. it. It's on the landscape, and they nominated a bunch of those yeah. across the state. So um, it, it it's not the obvious one like the Daily Mansion. You know, it's 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 the the humble log cabin somewhere too can be listed in the register. Yeah, you just nominated a mausoleum in the Billings Cemetery, right? Right. Yeah, I thought that was a yeah. neat one that just went on the register here. So yeah, it's yeah. not one that people think about as you know the typical National Register property. Right. Are yeah. things like trails, like the Lewis and Clark Trail, things like that that are visible? Are those able to be nominated? Yeah, yeah, and so the the exact route of Lewis and Clark, some of it's defined 
some of it's not real defined, but there's um, Traveler's Rest, which which mm, we know campsite. they spent yeah. time at. There's Great Falls Portage site. Um, and so Traveler's Rest is uh, actually a National Historic Landmark. And that is actually a program that predates the National Register. And it was for those really like high-flying uh, historic sites like, um, you know, uh, <laughs> Mount Vernon, I guess, or Independence yeah. Hall in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. okay. um, but uh, National Register kind of is more inclusive, I guess, than the, uh, than the National Historic Landmark Program. Okay. So, so and was, okay, so the the National Historic Preservation Act brought that about, but it also brought about a sort of regulatory side to preservation. Um, and it came in response to what we call the federal bulldozer, the kind of federal highways pro projects that were just leveling neighborhoods um, or, or just these, these large scale federal projects that were impacting all kinds of like, ancient sites. Like dams that would flood whole valleys and whole sites would be lost under the dams too. I think yeah. that was also something that was very disconcerting to people to lose all those structures. Yeah. Right. And so this, the, the National Historic Preservation Act, but with its regulatory aspect, is the uh, federal government putting some kind of checks and balances on what it's agencies are doing with federal money or what they're permitting um and and so it extends only to projects where the property is either federally owned and so that could be forest service land it could be a historic inn in glacier national park um or or it can be any project that the, the federal government is funding so that could be a highway project or uh, a HUD project, they're going to re-roof a historic age house. And so we review that. And, um, so the, and then there's the uh, federal permits, like so Northwestern Energy gets a, a permit from the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. That's a federal permit. So we review things that Northwestern Energy is doing at their historic hydroelectric sites. Um, one thing, it, it, the, the National Historic Preservation Act and the National Register Program do not place limits on what private property owners can do with their private money and their private property. Um, an exception to that is if local governments have decided that they want to have a design review, typically they will apply those design review requirements to National Register listed properties. Mm -hmm. And there are a few communities in Montana that have local design review, but that's not our office. Um, so we don't get involved in what Joe Blow is going to do with his house um, unless he's mm -hmm. getting some kind of federal money for it, which right. is rare. Right, mm -hmm. right. So, so um, that kind of goes back to a conversation we had on a, the podcast a few podcasts ago with Sarah Rosenberg, who is our local um, Bozeman historic preservation planner and officer. And, and so we talked a lot about how as a private landowner and a private house owner or residence owner, you can kind of do what you want to do within the city code and the, within the city guidelines. And so that kind of extends out to private property um, outside of towns as well. But if it, if um, a 
but if the BLM, the Bureau of Land Management, or the Forest Service owns a piece of property, then that's when the National Historic Preservation Act comes into play. Correct. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Yep. So, Pete, you talked a little bit about how the SHPO office engages with local communities, particularly in cities, you know, Missoula, mm-hmm. Bozeman, Billings, places we've spent a lot of time, Butte, where, you know, there's a lot of historic architecture, there's there's downtown spaces, and um, and and folks in those cities are very interested in, in efforts to preserve a lot of their historic architecture, and then sometimes there are those city codes that have already kicked in and, and zones. But um, you were mentioning, you know, Montana is a big, primarily rural state. So what are the ways in which uh, your office tries to kind of take an exciting, enticing message of a historic <laughs> preservation <laughs> efforts and kind of raise awareness for all the all the other sm- smaller and rural communities, which often have amazing places as people were coming out and settling, this is one of those, I feel like, the last filled-in regions, actually, in the U.S. And so there's there's a lot of um, battlefields, but homesteads, all kinds of interesting places. But what's some of the ways in which the SHPO works to, to try to get people in other areas involved and excited? Yeah. Well, we... Um... We, we try our best to latch on to existing programs like uh, MSU Extension has their um, Reimagine Rural program. Um, we uh, always take a role in the Montana um, History Conference or the Montana Historical Society's History Conference, I mm-hmm. should say. Yeah. Um, and then Preserve Montana uh, puts on a what they call a road show every year and they pick a different place for that we sponsor that and we um, host components of it. Is it like the Antiques Roadshow? What is that? <laughs> it's uh, it's but it well yeah I guess it kind of is but it's um, there's no appraising things um, but it's looking at local historic places in in different communities that have hosted it. Um, do you have and a so bus? It's, like I said it's in a different place every every year they do it. Okay. Um, yeah, I think you guys. The last one was in was was it in White Sulphur Springs or was that a time or two ago? Yeah, it was a time or two ago. Okay. Um, and then they didn't have it, of course, during COVID. Yeah. They had a virtual one. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and then this past year, they, they've um, they have a leadership transition thing happening, so they, they right. didn't do it. But we're we're anticipating they will do something in. Um, summer 2024. Oh, good. Good. So um, it kind of focuses on a specific region of Montana and you kind of have an in-depth look of, at the the history and the historic preservation within that region. Yeah. Yeah. So Yeah, and, and, and it's just trying to get people in those communities um to p- participate in this and and kind of um share the message with them. Yeah. Are there are there lectures? Are there sort of things people could attend um, towards things like that? Yeah. Yeah, there are lectures, but there are also tours. So uh, like a bus tour. 
I kind of feel um, like you guys need a bus. I'm on this bus kick, as Crystal knows, because I think extreme no. history should yeah. also have a bus, even if it's a short bus. I think I think buses for like historic tours and historic preservation would just elevate that whole field. And so I'm just going to speak out about it, keep speaking out about it until someone gives us a bus. Nancy really Ideally wants a an bus. electric bus. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. And then I want to paint the bus. So, yeah. Okay. You know what we should oh. do? Mon- we should collectively um, buy a bus here in Montana, and then you guys could use it for the road show. Exactly. We could we use could it for somehow tours. The insurance yeah. would be a nightmare on that, but yeah. that would be super fun. Okay. <laughs> We're going to take a quick station break on that. Okay. You're listening to The Dirt on the Past with co-hosts Crystal Alegria and Nancy Mahoney on KGVM Bozeman or wherever you find your podcasts. We're speaking today with Peter Brown, the Montana State Historic Preservation Officer, about his job at the State Historic Preservation Office. All right. So how about we introduce sort of um, a different turn on the topic and something just as important is that every state ideally now, and I think they all do, when they first set up the National Historic Preservation Office, every state has its own state historic preservation office. Mm -hmm. Um, And also a lot of the tribes, and I don't want to say all necessarily because I don't know, but a lot of the tribes have a tribal historic preservation office that ideally operates in a similar fashion to the state historic preservation offices, even though they're not themselves states, they're sort of at a different level of government. But you guys are called shippos, they're called tippos, they rhyme. So talk a little bit about how your office works with the the tribal historic preservation offices. Yeah, well, Montana has seven tribal historic preservation offices. Um, and uh, they have one at each of the uh, reservations in the state. And so they have a tribal historic preservation officer who's my counterpart, and then they have staff. Um, and so their their primary jurisdiction is within the boundaries of the reservation. And so that is is um, anytime there's a, a federal undertaking uh, within those boundaries, the federal agency has to consult with the tribal historic preservation office. And we, um, we don't typically get involved unless the TIPO wants us involved or, or engages with us in some way. But, but that's that is their um, work on on the reservations. Um, federal agencies also consult with TIPOs for things that are off the reservation um, when there's um, a likely um, significant site. Um, that would be affected by a, a federal project. Um, SHPO is typically still the lead on those off-reservation projects, but the TIPOs have a perspective that the agency and the SHPO don't. This is, is important to kind of fully understanding significance of some of these sites and what agency activities, uh, what what effect those activities could have on the integrity of those sites. So they sort of act as consultants for ancestral, historic, or archaeological sites, and mm-hmm. and and a number of pro- uh, TIPO officers may all consult on one project if they've had areas that overlap um, historically or or even earlier than that. 
Yeah. Um, okay. So, so kind of two ways in which, and one is, as I was thinking too, when you were saying you don't necessarily, as a SHPO consult, if there's um, something that's on reservation land, um, Indian land, but the way I sort of think I understand it is the SHPO probably has the best database, I think, of historic and archaeological sites. So um, is that shared with the TIPO? Do they come to you sometimes for those records? Are records shared between those different agencies? Yeah, yeah, we have a pretty complete, I guess we have the most complete database of known um, and documented cultural sites across Montana. And so we um, grant access to the TIPOs. Um, they, they can check out our database and um, GIS mapping. Um, and that the information in that database, a lot of it's confidential because it is archaeological sites and we don't want people showing up with metal detectors. Um, yeah. But um, that, the information in, in that database uh, is a kind of baseline information before say MDT might want to do a road widening project or a reroute or something. Their archaeologist is going to consult our database to see what is known about this area where we're working. Based on that, they'll do a survey or, or amend their project maybe to avoid known sites. Um, but the TIPOs also have access to that. And, and um, when there's work on the reservation, they can kind of go through the same process of they and the agencies identifying any known sites or, or maybe um, based on the topography, proximity to water, all that. There might be no known sites, but there are high probabilities of there's a high probability that there is a site in a given area, perhaps. So. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's interesting. So there's um does every state have tipos? Every state in the United States I, have tipos? You know, every every state that has a reservation um or, or multiple um likely does have a tipo. Um um Montana used to not have a tipo at every reservation and and we do now. Mm -hmm. Um and they're um, you know, they have as much expertise as SHPO staff. Um, yeah. And um, so I would say that's pretty much standard for every state that has um, a reservation on it. I okay. think a lot yeah. of that actually depends on the federal funding. From what I've heard about talking to TIPOs is it's there's not always the resources, depending on resources at a particular reservation, say if it's especially small or with a particular tribe that maybe doesn't even have land. So it's it can be challenging um, to fund an office and a staff. So I think going from our state not having one at every reservation to having one at every, you know, they've been working towards that in certain ways. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, I mean, ideally that would be the, the way it was structured. Yeah. 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 Good. Thanks. So, you know, Pete, I want to talk a little bit also about some of the challenges that you face at SHPO in preserving and protecting historical resources within our state, because I'm sure there are are many great opportunities, which we've talked a little bit about already, and all the um, work that you do to get to get the word out about what you're doing in the plan. But I'm sure there's challenges. So if you could speak to that a little bit, I'd be interested. Yeah. Well, I mentioned the money issue earlier. Um, you know, that's that's the 
funds for brick and mortar projects, uh, inventory of, of uh, historic districts, uh, Bozeman's going through a kind of a re-inventory of their historic districts to see yeah. what's still there. Right. right. Um, because it was, I think, first surveyed in maybe the 80s. Yeah, it was, it was surveyed in, in 1984. And so between... 1984 and now, <laughs> a lot. Mm -hmm. We've experienced a huge amount of growth. And then also just, you know, things have become historic that weren't historic in 1984. So yeah, they're, they're doing a whole, um, they're updating the inventory as much as they can. So yeah, yeah and extreme history has been a part of that a little bit as well. Yeah. And so, so getting, getting money to communities, um, you know, Livingston's doing it also and getting money to communities to do that um, is you, it's no one ever is given a, a check and say to, with the direction, go take care of this in a year. It's, it's typically a piecemeal approach. Um, and so beyond, beyond the money, you know, there's certainly just, just rate, uh, raising awareness of, of preservation and, and why it's important, um, getting people to, recognize and, and value historic properties in their own communities that they may not be aware of um from maybe a regulatory perspective there there's a lot of federal money flowing now it's not just for preservation it's for these um you know uh i guess fuels reduction projects we call them large scale landscape projects you know fuel, oh, okay. fuels reduction um that kind of thing so you mean like uh, forest fires for yeah uh, it, yeah to forest prevent and grass forest fires. fires okay mm -hmm. so there there are big things like that um the great american outdoors act was enacted in the last few years and that money's still active and then the infrastructure law um which has put money into all kinds of undertakings federal undertakings and so um, agency staff and, and SHPO staff and TIPO staff kind of spread thin mm. these days. Uh, we actually were able to hire an additional staff person um, a couple years ago to to keep up with our, our compliance workload. So you have to review all that, and that's where that right. that work comes in for SHPO. Okay. Or is okay. it that you – do you actually have to – in, have staff go out and or maybe somebody else is hired to do the surveys when you're talking about these fuel reduction acts in these big landscapes. So they have to go out and first see what historic or archaeological resources are going to be impacted by mm -hmm. removing trees from the forest. Okay. And so all right. that then you have to oversee how who's doing that, how that's done, and they have to report to SHPO. Yeah, yeah, it, all that has to occur. Well, it should be occurring before uh, crews show up. But it, you know, it, it it sounds like simple work um, on the surface. Person goes out in the woods with a chainsaw and starts cutting things down. But it, there, there's so much staging involved and and dragging trees and um, heavy equipment. And um, you know, you can do a, an archaeological survey and do your best effort. But you won't necessarily see everything, and and you know it's. I think it's inevitable that some things may um, get overlooked just because of the scale of these these projects. Um, and then I think another 
challenge is the um, certainly the wildfires when they do occur, but also floods. And, you know, if you consider that for thousands of years, people have lived near water, um, <laughs> look what's happening with our rivers. There a lot of, uh, a lot of soils getting moved out um, in these flood events or, or deposited. So archeological sites, whether they're known or unknown are definitely being impacted by some of these large scale na uh, national natural disasters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's flood season here in Montana. So <laughs> yeah. We've been having a lot of rain this yeah, year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, Pete, I wanted to ask, um, just for any listeners out there, sort of what the ways in which individuals, an individual member of the public, is most likely to engage with the SHPO. And I'm, I'm thinking of, like, because we get calls sometimes at the university and places, someone has found a site, or they think they found a site, or they found an artifact. Um what do they do? What should they do? And that's that's one part of the question. And I'm thinking also of the person who might think, oh, we have a we have a wonderful historic structure in our community, and I'd like to nominate it for the National Register. So talk a little bit about, in those two cases, how individuals might need to or they should think about contacting the SHPO and what the SHPO office would, would do to work with that person. Yeah. So if it's if it's archaeology, you know, we get calls periodically like uh, I own X number of acres and I have, you know, rock art on my site or I have some stone circles on my site. Um, you know, people can reach out to us and, and um, we can't necessarily get to all these sites to document them, although we would love to. That's the most fun we have in our work here is getting out and seeing things firsthand. Um but we can give people um, forms that they could use to document the location of, of these sites on their property, take some photos, submit them to us with kind of the legal location, and, and we could plug them into our database. Um, and, you know, they're, they're, that doesn't necessarily get that site protected if it's private property, again, you know, someone could buy that property 10 years from now and decide they're going to dynamite that rock face and put a house up who knows but it's good to have the record and um uh we're happy to take that kind of information um with buildings uh oftentimes people want to nominate their historic house or business to the national register so we have a national register coordinator, John Bouton, who works with those people to nominate their property to the register. And then, um, you know, with buildings, people often call us up and ask if there's funding to help fix their building or uh, they have some, you know, historic architecture. A lot of the a lot of the methods for construction have been not in use for a long time so if you have a log building and it needs you know, sill logs rotten you know you may not know how to go about fixing it yourself or who to call to get someone to come out and fix it and so we're kind of a clearinghouse for best practices for for building treatments mm -hmm. also um and when we don't have the answer chances are we know someone who could provide that answer so we can do a little bit of research for people or put them in touch with someone who has those answers. That's great. Um, yeah, yeah. Very helpful. Um, so what, um, what are maybe one of your one or two favorite 
projects that the SHPO has worked on or initiatives that they've worked on that you really enjoyed and, and felt was meaningful? Yeah. Well, I guess I'll, I'll brag a little bit about one that we're doing. It's it's actually starting. It's our, our first time through it. Um, it's our youth archaeological survey program. Oh, fun. Awesome. <laughs> nice. And um, we're kicking that off. Um, and it's a partnership with the Montana Discovery Foundation and Montana DNRC. And so what we are doing is kind of taking advantage of an existing program that the Discovery Foundation has in collaboration with the Forest Service, where they go out on Forest Service land, they do like stream monitoring, soil quality, vegetation surveys, um, that kind of stuff. And they they're teaching the uh, staff teach these high school students how to do the basic work, and then um, they do a report at the end. So that's a program that's been around for about 20 years, and we um, have approached them um, to introduce an archaeological component or an archaeology component to that. And so um, the Forest Service kind of has their own archaeology staff. They're surveying their own property. But DNR, Montana DNRC, they also have an archaeologist, but they have so much land that's unsurveyed. We're getting um, high school students to go out um, with um, Laura Marsh from the Historical Society, she's an archaeologist, and Patrick Rennie, he's DNRC's archaeologist. And Laura and Patrick are going to teach these high school students how to do archaeological survey, and they're going to just walk, uh, I don't know how many acres of DNRC land. Um, it'll be exciting for them because there are some known stone circles up there and and they're more likely to they're pretty highly likely to find some cool stuff in their survey and then so those students this is like a, a six-week um kind of class and they'll write a report on it that we will have then in our as part of our database um now i want to point out that the, the survey is not them uh excavating uh, these sites. It's looking for things that are evident on the surface. Kind of just walking um, the they ground. They may do some, yeah. some some test pits just to to get a sense of, um, you know, if are there any artifacts? Is there any uh, like charcoal we could use to carbon date to determine like how old that such and such a layer of soil is? Um, but is this is not um, what people think of archaeology as being where. <laughs> You have these big holes in the ground. You're you're pulling out jawbones and um, you know bullets and cannonballs. Um. <laughs> right, right. What a great opportunity for high school students. I mean, I would have loved something like that. I would that. have loved something, but yeah. I'm glad to hear they're going to a place where they're likely to to yes. find some things because yes. nothing would squash that interest right out of somebody faster than six weeks mm -hmm. of finding nothing. Yeah. You know, and then writing a report about it. Yeah. That would be really. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's good also, you know, to introduce them to that idea of survey if they do want to go into archaeology, because, of course, that's what archaeology mainly is these days, is not as much the excavation aspect of it, but more that walking the ground and just seeing what is there and documenting that and not doing mm -hmm. excavation. And so I think it gives them a realistic viewpoint of what their future could be as an archaeologist if they want to be a field archaeologist. 
Mm-hmm. So I love that. And you guys have been doing a lot of other great or, or providing a lot of other great opportunities for interns and things like that as well, or, or connecting students with internships. There's amazing amount of internships for college students this year in the fields of archaeology and history. And I know that a lot yeah. of that came through your office. Yeah, we um, we actually have People, um, I, I never think of state agencies as places people donate money, but people donate money to our office. And we've been trying to cultivate donors um, to so that we can pay have paid internships. And um, nice. I, I, I should give a plug to, uh, to another project and another person here. Kate Hampton has done um, research for, what, 16 years, I think, at this 15, 16 years at this mm-hmm. point on uh, Black history in Montana, and she yeah. has hosted numerous yeah. interns. That's great. And that effort kind of culminated in a um, documentary that aired on Montana PBS in February. It's, I think it's still available online. It's called um, Hidden Places, um, or sorry, Hidden Stories, um, and it's about... Um, Montana's black history and some of the places that are associated with those those people. Um, it was a great so documentary. I, yeah, we've had, so good. We've had yeah. a lot of interns working on that, assisting Kate in that effort. Yeah, yeah. So many good things coming out of your office right now. And we'll, we'll talk more about those um, in future episodes, too. We're excited to be talking about some of those initiatives. Um, but so many great opportunities for students. And I think that's just wonderful. And I love those internship opportunities, but that high school, that that's just so that's, exciting that's to me. That's fantastic. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so that it ties back to the plan and our, our kind of um, need to, to diversify the people who are interested in preservation and approaching kids planting these seeds yes, now is, yes. <laughs> is pretty important <laughs> that's really really important yeah and and give them you know the job opportunities in this field are really wonderful right now as well mm-hmm. um you know because there's a lot of jobs in for in state government for with history historic preservation archaeology but also in federal government as well so i think that's mm-hmm. wonderful to kind of show them the way to some of those jobs but um one other question i had for you Pete, is that, you know, here in Bozeman anyway, and really throughout Montana, there's been so much growth in our urban centers, in our cities, and our towns, and a lot of development happening. And of course, development and historic preservation can go wonderfully together, but sometimes they um, don't often mix. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, continuing, to, I guess, a little bit to talk about some of the challenges, but um, can you talk about how you and your office ensure the long-term sustainability of historic sites and cultural heritage within our state of Montana? Mm, well, we uh, we operate with more, well, in the private sector, we have more carrots than sticks. We don't have a stick for the private sector. Right, right. <laughs> Some people are really glad we don't. Some people wish we had a huge stick. Um but we have no stick. So carrots is, are what we use. Um, and, you know, for commercial buildings, the biggest, the best carrot, I guess, there are a couple things out there actually. 
There's the federal rehab tax credit program, which incentivizes redevelopment of kind of uh, languishing historic income producing properties that need substantial rehabilitation. And so the best example I can point to is in Bozeman on Montana Avenue and Minnesota Avenue, kind of straddling the railroad tracks. There. In Billings, you mean? Billings? Billings. Yeah. yeah. What, yeah. Oh, sorry. You said Bozeman, but. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry. Billings. Um, it's a, there have been so many tax credit projects there. Um, and the key is buildings that need lots and lots of work um, because you have to pass what they call a substantial rehab test, which is based on how much you, your project will cost you. And I, I won't go into the minutia of that. Uh, people can look it up, but um, it's that's a harder thing. It's harder to pass that test and qualify for those tax credits in Bozeman because Bozeman's kind of building stock is actually pretty well maintained and doesn't need that substantial rehabilitation. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there are a lot of places are that way. I think Helen is kind of that way where they don't have caving in roofs yeah. <laughs> or caving in walls. Yeah. But, Butte, um, but that, Butte's so the, the tax be, credit yeah. program. Yeah. Probably Butte. Butte. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's a good, really good carrot too. You know, that, that, mm -hmm. Program is really. Yeah. Is let's it, go. Let's go buy a building, Crystal. Yeah. Like, yeah. There we go. Think about it. <laughs> we bus be fun. and a building. I was just going to say, need a I'd, big garage. I'd, I'd <laughs> much rather like the building than the bus. Really? <laughs> okay. Okay. I see where we're going now. All right. Forget the bus. So, let's just get a building. Well, the the other thing that I I wish we could lay claim to. It's not our program, but the Montana Department of Commerce has a historic preservation grant program, and it's mm, it's yeah. pretty massive. Yeah. Um, and, it's new. It's it. They've had two grant cycles. It operates on the state biennium, so people submit their applications in even number years, and they um, uh, Department of Commerce staff and Shippo staff and um, a state tourism board review those applications and score them. And then we make recommendations to the legislature who then when they're in session, they will identify who gets these grants. But I mean, there, th those projects are, are pretty, pretty good sized projects. They're always very costly projects. Um, Is it mostly you know, brick, brick and mortar projects? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Brick and mortar projects. Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, and it's a historic preservation grant, so it's not just like anyone with a building that's kind of tied to tourism. It's got to be a historic property, not necessarily listed in the National Register. But um, so I think that right there, putting putting people in touch with that program, um, and some people have gotten that money and they've coupled their project with tax credits. Um, and that that's kind of leveled the playing field on some of these more costly preservation projects. Yeah, those are both really good carrots. And, you know, um, there's so much value in a historic building. So that adaptive reuse is uh, is huge, you know, mm -hmm. and I think that Bozeman has really capitalized on that on our main street and really 
put their dollars into those adaptive reuse projects and and our economy in Bozeman is booming our downtown Main well the Street. US bank I'm yeah. wondering if if that project was in part funded by this grant because they're pulling mm-hmm. off the 1960s facade or 1970s, 1971 1971 yeah. facade and which was all stucco and modern and underneath is the brick and these arches and beautiful windows and we're all so excited to see that emerging but this is a massive yeah. multi-year project yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah but it's really restoring a huge viewscape to our downtown yeah. yeah yeah so Amazing. if they didn't use it they should have <laughs> I know I better talk to this people yeah. <laughs> okay so so um just sort of one final question for you, Peter, mm-hmm. and, and then we'll we'll let you off the hook out of the hot okay. seat. Um, and this is a tough one. I, I, um, I'm asking for a very eloquent response to um, why – what do you think is the most important relevance today to preserving Montana's cultural heritage? Um, why is it important today? This is a question we, we ask really all of our um, – all of the people that we interview on our things, and we, we ask ourselves it all the time. Um, so I'm interested in, in for you, um, people might say, why aren't we putting money into these other things? Why are we putting it into heritage? Why care so much? What's the value today? Yeah. Well, I think our historic downtowns and our historically open landscapes are why people value Montana um, and to kind of tarnish those or remove them or lessen them from what they have been historically just kind of removes a a key asset that Montana has. Um, And um, I think if you want to put that in dollars and cents, you know, our, our tourism uh, industry is, is based on those two things um kind of unfettered open space people want to, people want to see if they can they want to see a few things when they come to montana they want to see grizzly bears um and and i bet they want to see someone riding on a horse <laughs> who's not part of a trail tour or something a, a guy in a cowboy hat or something um on a horse because that's how he works he's a <laughs> rancher they want to see that they want to have that genuine experience um and in historic downtowns um they have some commonalities with other historic downtowns in other parts of the world but they're every historic downtown is unique unto it unto itself um and so people want to come and see main street and uh, get away from maybe the hotel off the bypass or whatever the highway and see something genuine and it is different from the place where they come from right um, they can get away from the target and the walmart yeah. and the yeah the box stores yeah. um yeah well thank you for that answer pete and um we're running out of time to for this episode, and we just want to thank you so incredibly much for taking the time to talk to us today and, and explain um, this, this office that maybe some folks didn't know that much about and can use as a resource. So um, let's just uh, finish up by asking you, where can people find out more information about Montana's State Historic Preservation Office as well as its its current projects? 
Yeah, I think simply Googling Montana SHPO is the, the quickest mm -hmm. way to find this. Um, it'll get you right to our website and probably get you to uh, any recent press on, on things that we've done. Great. Thank you. Wonderful. Well, it was such a joy to talk with you today, Pete. So thank you so much for sitting down to take time to talk about historic preservation with us, but not just historic preservation, really cultural heritage, heritage in general. So thank mm -hmm. you so much. Yeah. yeah, thanks for having me. It was great. All right. Thanks, Pete. And thanks to all our listeners out there for joining us today. If you love this podcast, please tell a friend and make sure to subscribe so it shows up in your podcast feed each week and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Thanks for listening today. And we hope you can join us again to find out more about the, the dirt, dirt on the, the past. past. And thank you again to the Montana Shippo for sponsoring this episode. And a big thanks to our editors, Drake Pinnell and Sierra Thomas. And thanks to Lawson Alegria for mixing the music and to Steve Durbin at KGVM and John Chadwell for help getting the podcast out in the world. <laughs>